Well, glad that you're here at Sovereign Grace Baptist today. I pray that today is a wonderful day of worship and hearing from the Lord. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading, we're going to be actually looking at chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. It's a long passage today to try to finish out this chapter before we begin to focus on some sermons uh, surrounding resurrection uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. Um, But I want to read this morning Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. If you can, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word if you're able to stand. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have, been, they have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the reading of your word and just the the privilege to gather as Christians in your house here, God. I pray this morning that you would be in this place with us, dear God, that you would just bind us together as your people, as we strive to build your kingdom. Lord, you are directing every step. You are changing every heart. You are putting before us everything that you need us to do. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would teach us through your word and remind us that if we are Christians and if we have heard the true teaching of your gospel, that we have a different way of thinking. But somehow, God, we still hold on to that old way, that Gentile way, that impure way. I pray, God, this morning that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would draw us into your love and your grace, because we want to be your people. And so in that, Father, we ask for your help, and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. If we remind ourselves of the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we must be reminded that the Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus, he's reminding them, first of all, the first three chapters, he's reminding them of where they've come from. They were primarily Gentiles who have come into the faith with no uh, culture or background in the Jewish tradition or the monotheistic tradition of God. Uh, Now a lot of these Gentiles are are part of the church. And in chapter 4, he's encouraging the churches there in and around Ephesus that there is a unity in the body of Christ that involves not just the Jewish Christians, but also the Gentiles.
Gentile Christians, and the emphasis here is that everyone has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and everyone has a story. It doesn't matter if you were God's chosen people, uh, the nation of Israel, or the Gentiles. God loves us all, and he saves us all through the blood of Christ, and there is unity in that. Let's be reminded of that as we close out this chapter and as Paul is reminding the Christians here of exactly where they've come from and who they are now. I don't know about you, but there's always that, that talk that parents must have with children at a certain age of maturity. You know better. Y'all ever had that talk with your kids? You have it on an ongoing basis? Uh, you're, not a, you're not a baby anymore. You know better. I think it's an ongoing conversation, even into adulthood, right? I think my dad, from time to time, even though I'm 50 years old, whenever we, sometimes dad will look at me and say, I raised you better than that. It's one of these things that it's good for us as God's people to be reminded that we have been taught, we have been exposed to the truth of the gospel, and there is an accountability upon us. It's not that we are obligated as much as that we, we love God so much for His mercy and, and the forgiving grace that He pours out upon us. We want to be like Christ. We want to please God in our thoughts and in our actions. We want to bring God joy in how we live as individuals, but we also want to bring joy to God as how we live together in community. It's not, this, this is not a chapter of rules that you better follow or else. It's a reminder of exactly the cost that was paid for you and that you have been taught the truth and here is what it looks like. But it's a chapter that reminds them also in comparison. Once you were a Gentile and you thought this way, but now your mind is in Christ and this is how you think. This is how you live. So rather than looking at this text as a list of do's and don'ts, we must look at it from this context. Paul is reminding all Christians in Ephesus and even us today, God is using these words to speak to us, to remind us that we, if we are in Christ, we have a new life. And that new life is defined a special way. So we look here in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If you come out of the Gentile tradition, you did not know God per se. You may have heard of God. You know, you may have been on the outskirts around the edges of, of, of God's people. And you may have picked up a few things and, and, and encountering Jewish tradition in the workplace or in the community. You may have heard these things, but you really didn't grow up in it. You really weren't immersed in it if you were a Gentile. And so Paul's words here, let's remind ourselves in verse 17, Paul's words here point to Christ. Now this I say and testify to what? Or to who? To the Lord. The words that Paul chooses to use here, he is uh, prefacing it with, everything I'm getting ready to say to you is a testimony to the Lord. It is, I am testifying of His saving grace. I am testifying of how He has changed me and He has changed you. See, the Gentile way of living seemed right and justified. But in Christ, things have changed now. You see, the Gentile way of living, in this ancient tradition here, we have to kind of get a little bit of a background in the ancient world. The Gentile way of living seemed right, and it seemed justified, because the 
the Greek and Roman cultures strived after what we would call happiness or well-being, right? What does it look like to live well? And, of course, they had a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different practical how-tos. And here's how we structure our city-states to make it better to live well and to provide freedom and, and all these kind of things. But when you peel back the layers of that ancient way of thinking, what you really run into is that freedom of pursuing happiness and well-being involved whatever made you happy, pleasurable, Whatever was right in the moment is okay, even to the point that truth was actually whatever anyone felt it was best for them. Now, does that sound a little familiar? That's the ancient way of actually pursuing life, but it's never really changed. The world, the secular world we live in, is still the same. It's going to always be that way apart from Christ. Anyone who is in the kingdom of Christ, anyone who is bought by the blood, anyone whose life has been transformed radically will notice and understand immediately a contrast between the way the world tells you to live and perhaps the way you followed, and now all of a sudden a new joy and desire that was not there before. Because the world says, you pursue your well-being, you pursue your happiness in any way that makes it good for you. So this is what Paul's contrasting here in verse 17. And it's important here that he says, the words I'm, I'm saying here are a testimony to the Lord. I am testifying to God's greatness through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you may no longer walk as Gentiles do. Because the way the Gentiles lived, the way the pagans lived, those who were not Christians lived, the way they did was futile. That's a big word. Futile is a great word just to mean it's worthless. It's a waste of your time. It's, it's a lost cause. It's taking you down the wrong path. That's what futile means. You ever done something that you thought was a good idea, but after you did it, you just said, What was I thinking? I mean, how many, of us have, how many of our parents have said that to us growing up, especially in the teenage years? What were you thinking, son? What were you thinking, daughter? That, that futile way of thinking Paul is pointing out here is a lost path. But in this contrast in verse 17, he's making it real clear. In contrast to the Gentile way of thinking, the futility of their minds, there is also the ways of Christ. Now, if the Gentile ways of living is futile, if their Gentile ways of thinking is futile, then the ways of Christ and the way of thinking in Christ is something that is opposite and is worthy of comparison. And that's what Paul's really doing here in the latter half of chapter 4. He's laying out, over here we got the Gentile way of thinking. Over here you've got the Christian way of thinking. And let's just see the stark contrast. You see, verses 18 through 19 here, he really kind of lays it out. He says, They, being the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I mean, this right here echoes the first chapter of Romans, doesn't it? Where Paul lays out in that, I mean... Let's just be honest, if you ever read the book of Romans or tried to read the book of Romans, you may have just got bogged down after about chapter 2 and thinking, I don't get this, because Romans is a very thick, very philosophical, and very theological book. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. But he begins chapter 1 of the book of Romans with this observation of reality. God in 
seeing the hardness and the darkness of men's hearts, just let them go in the way that they wanted to go. He handed them over to their lusts and their desires because they were so dark and foreign to his light and his goodness. It's not that God cast them out and forgot them. He just said, okay, that's where their mindset is. That's where their living is. They're not going to follow me. I'm just going to let them go where they want to go. And so in verses 18 and 19, Paul is reminding them, the, the Ephesians here, especially the, the Ephesian Christians who were Gentiles, who came out of the Gentile way of thinking, he's reminding them that the, the, the Gentile mind is dark. And the Gentile mind does not understand the life of God, the ways of God, uh, that, that grace in Christ, because they are ignorant. That doesn't mean that they're stupid. It just means that they, that they did not have the truth. It means that they were not taught, perhaps, what the truth of the gospel is. And as a result, their hearts are hardened toward God. It's a soft heart that is receptive to the word of the Lord. It is a soft heart that is receptive to the calling of the Holy Spirit. If your heart is hardened to that truth, the truth is going to have a difficult time getting through. And it's not that God's truth is going to turn away and just quit. It's just that God's truth may take a little bit longer to chip through the, the granite that surrounds your dark mind and your dark heart. But all the time, God is through His Holy Spirit calling and pleading and begging and digging and chipping away a little bit at a time around that callous heart. And once he breaks through, (laughs) wow, when the light and the truth of Christ breaks through, it's amazing. You see here in verse 19, Paul reminds us as well that the Gentile mind has become callous and and all this has given the Gentiles up to sensuality, greed, and practice of any kind of impurity. The reason that the Gentiles live the way they do, so vulgar and so greedy and so difficult and so dark, is because that their mind and their heart is hard. You see, this dark understanding really means foolishness. It's the foolishness of men's wisdom, and it's misguided towards human accomplishments. And I think this is so timely here with the Sunday school lesson that the kids had today about the Tower of Babel, right? Is this not the Tower of Babel mindset that Paul is writing about here? What was the mindset of those who built the Tower of Babel? We can do anything, and we can do it better than God. We're just as good as God. Everything that we accomplish is for ourselves. And what do they do? They, They attempt to build a tower to get to God because they are so proud of their accomplishments and their ability to do so. That's what Paul's talking about here. The Gentile, non-godly, non-Christian way is foolish and misguided because the focus is on human accomplishments rather than the accomplishments of God. And when we focus on the accomplishments of humanity over the accomplishments of God, then suddenly we elevate ourselves as our own idols and it becomes more difficult for God's truth to come through. And the result here is that the Gentile mind really does not know right from wrong. The Gentile mind here does not know the difference between what is good and what is evil, what is light and what is dark. Let's move on to verses 20 through 24 here. The Apostle Paul 
Now it tells us in verse 20 in comparison to what he's just introduced here. And now he's talking in verse 20 to the Christians, right? In verses 17 through 19, he points out the contrast and, and, uh, of the Gentile way of thinking. Now in verse 20, he, point, he looks to the Christians here and he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Here, here comes in verse 20 the, you've learned better. <laughs> you've been taught better. He says in verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now here's an interesting point in verses 20 and 21. Paul talking to the Christian church here in Ephesus in verses 17 through 19 actually lays out what the darkness of the Gentile mind is. And then he turns to the Christians and he says, but you don't think that way really, do you? I assume you don't because... Paul lived in Ephesus for three years. We see that in the book of Acts. Paul poured into these people as he established the church. And so look here in verses 20 and 21. He says, Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now where would they have heard the truth? From Paul himself. So Paul's writing to these children in the faith and saying, You know better. I assume you know better because boy... Maybe, did you, were you taught the truth of God? Were you tra- taught the truth of the gospel? Paul is actually spelling out here in verse 21 an expectation that yes, you Ephesians do know the truth of the gospel because you were taught it. Now verse 22 he says, and, and assuming that you know the truth about Christ, assuming that you've heard the truth, you are to put off your old self. You're to put off that old Gentile way of thinking. Because that belongs to your former manner of life, and that former life is corrupt with deceitful desires. Do we all have desire? Y'all desire things? Yeah, I don't know about you, but when when it's uh, lunchtime or dinner time, I desire a cheeseburger. Don't get it all the time. It'd be nice if I could eat a cheeseburger two or three times a day, but that's not good, is it? And so when I'm really, really good... I get a cheeseburger. We desire things, but how often do our desires turn out to be a bad desire? And so Paul here is reminding them that in the Christian life, in the mind of Christ, that you do know you're to put off that old self because that old self is full of deceitful desires. Our desires can deceive us. Amen? That's why we are taught at a young age, and it's a lifelong battle of putting our desires in perspective. And the way that we do that in Christ is that we take our desires and measure it through the mind of Christ. Is this what God wants? Is this godly? Is it Christ-like? Is it loving? Is it building up His kingdom? Or is it something I'm selfishly desiring to satisfy a craving? You see, and then verse 23, he now contrasts that Gentile way of corrupt thinking with Christ In verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, this false way of thinking in verse 22 shows a misguided righteousness, a misguided Gentile righteousness. And in verse 23 and 24, he says the true righteousness and true holiness is created after the likeness of God in putting on the new self because the spirit of your minds are changed. That's an interesting phrase there. What does it mean, the spirit of your mind? 
Because that's what he's focusing on. That's what gets transformed and changed in us in this new image of Christ. What is the spirit of your minds? Y'all can put this on Facebook later. Blow some people away. The spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind is here to be transformed and renewed. This renewed spirit of the mind is actually a soul that is now made noble or elegant or excellent or refined, if you will. This idea, and, and see, here's, here's the irony here in this whole talk, is uh, that, that Paul, as he's writing here to the Ephesian church, he's actually kind of playing off of ancient philosophy too. There was an ancient philosophy way of pursuing a noble spirit. In other words, a renewal of the human spirit should result in a refined life, a better way of living, a, a more noble character. And it, and it was an ancient way of thinking. The, the way of the human life was desiring a better flourishing way of living, and that was to change someone's soul into this higher state of perfection and character. And no, the idea of nobility and refinement comes out of this. And so Paul here, in, in verse 23, this renewal of the spirit of your minds created in the likeness of God is in stark contrast to what the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers said was the way to this state. The Christian way to this renewed spirit of mind, this soul that becomes noble and refined, is through redemption and renewal in Christ. Amen? No one can be good apart from Christ. No one can please God apart from the atoning sacrifice in the blood of Christ. Because not only does that sacrificial blood of Christ pay the price due our sin, it also ushers in a renewed mind in the saved, in the redeemed. We become new people. Amen? Our attitudes shift. We're no longer seeking dark desires. Suddenly, we want what Christ wants. And the mystery of that is we don't do that on our own. There is no 10-step help book, self-help book that you can get from the bookstore to get you there. It's through the power of the renewal of our minds through Christ himself. Now, verses 25 through 32, I'm not going to read the entire thing. But it's going to, I'm just going to touch on the points here. It's a bullet point list. Many people will look at this end of the text here, verses 25 through 32, and say that, and actually teach it and preach it as if it is a checkoff list of do's and don'ts. But you have to remember the previous verses here from verses 17 through 24 leading up to 25 through 32 as the foundation for how to do these things, how to be Christians. Verses 25 through 32 is now an example of here's what it looks like to have a renewed mind. Here's what it looks like to be made new in Christ. Here's what it looks like to actually be the new self. Verse 25, there having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. See, Gentiles lie and they deceive to get what they want. That means they lie to their neighbor. They, they do dirty business deals. They take what they want however they want. They're mischievous. But Christians, they speak the truth to their neighbor. They're honest with their neighbor. They do all of their business dealings above reproach. So in other words, speak the truth with your neighbor. 
And in so doing, you're going to speak the truth of the gospel to them as well. Amen? So this, in one way, verse 25 is saying, speak the truth to your neighbor by sharing the gospel. But deeper, the deeper meaning here is that you do so by dealing honestly with them all the time. How is a non-Christian going to be drawn to Christ and actually see the Christian life as attractive if Christians are not honest with them? Verse 25, be angry, I'm sorry, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A very good proverb. It's always good advice not to let your anger fester as you go to bed. Deal with it now. It's a common proverb, a common thing. Actually, Paul here in verse 26 and 27 is referring to Psalm chapter 4. A very common phrase here in the Psalms about dealing with anger. And the word here is is often tremble. Do not tremble in your sin. What happens when you get angry? You just shake and you tremble. You get so, your body just, right? In other words, the Christian has calm confidence. The Christian is self-controlled, has a demeanor that is not controlled by their anger. Amen. The next thing in verse 28, he's reminding the Gentiles, if you were once a thief, a Christian is honest. Because a thief steals what they want and they don't go to work. I remember a classic film by the name of Raising Arizona. Have you all ever seen that movie? So It's a cult classic by some. And you have John Goodman in there who plays a prisoner who just escaped from prison. He's a convict who escaped from prison. And he's talking to his new friend as he's gone to his house after escaping. And he's looking at him. He's, and, and this new friend has made a new life for himself. He's gotten married. He's got a baby. He's got a house. And John Goodman, the convict, looks at him and says, and he's talking about his new job, right? How he's doing well. And John Goodman looks at him and says, a job? What do you want a job for? Waste, you're too young to waste your life. This is the words of a felon. What do you want a job for? You've wait, you got, you got plenty of years before you. You're young. Live it up. Take what you want. The thieving Gentile goes and steals. But the Christian is honest and gets a job and puts his hands to work. Not just any work, honest work. And in so doing, the Christian not only has plenty for himself and for his family, he also has enough to give to others in generosity and charity. The thief does not have enough to share with anybody. The thief only takes what they want for themselves. You see the contrast here. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is a reflection of the same idea that Paul speaks about in Colossians chapter 4. He says, Let your speech be flavored with salt. What does that mean? In other words, don't, don't speak ugly. Everything that comes out of your mouth must be edifying to God and His glory and must also edify your neighbor and those around you. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who has transformed your mind and transformed your life through the blood of Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by turning away from that. Be so totally devoted to the life of Christ and be so totally devoted to that change in you through the Holy Spirit that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit by letting Him down. And lastly, verse 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see, the Christian mind who has actually 
heard the truth of the gospel, supposedly, cannot conceive of gossip and slander. The Christian mind cannot conceive of divisive action or language. Now we look at this list of, of character here. And of course, many of us can think back of Christians so-called in the church who do not match up to this. And it's not that they're not doing what Paul is telling them to do. It's perhaps their minds were not totally transformed. Perhaps the spirit of their minds is still in the Gentile way of thinking. Perhaps the spirit of their minds is still in the pagan ways of selfishness and doing what I want. But Paul says that's futile. (laughs) That's futile thinking. That's foolish thinking. That's wasteful thinking. It produces nothing. So evidence of true Christianity is what we see here. All of this list here, 25 through 32, is evidence, not a to-do list. It's actually the the product of the new mind in Christ. It is the fruit of the mind of Christ. And in so, verse 32, this sums up all of this in chapter 4. He says in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, that sums up the gospel. That sums up the Christian way of living. If God himself has loved you and forgiven you, through His Son, Jesus Christ, do the same to others. If He has honestly, truly done so, and if you honestly believe it, if your faith is in what God has done through Jesus Christ, then you will automatically be this new person. So the question is then, from Paul's words, is are we struggling with this? Are we str- of course we're going to struggle with this, right? We're still sinners. We're still going to have those dark, deceitful desires. We're going to be selfish. We're going to want to satisfy ourselves. It's part of our sinful nature. The question is, is the spirit of our minds changed to where when that does occur, we are so appalled and ashamed? You see, the idea of shame seems to be foreign anymore, doesn't it? No one has shame. We're not supposed to shame People. We're not supposed to bring out behavior or choices or thoughts or words as shameful. Oh, unless you're in a particular political persuasion. Oh, then you can shame anybody you want. Right? Shame can be a very powerful tool, but shame used in an improper way is a very dangerous thing. It's a manipulative thing. Shame should actually bring repentance. Shame should actually wake us up to, wait a minute, I'm a Christian Christ has renewed the spirit of my mind. Amen? And we love that, and we desire that. So at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, I have to, I have to really bra- brag on, on you. Let me brag on you. I witness in this congregation a spirit of mind that is very other. I don't see the spirit of mind here that is all about me, 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 me. I see the spirit of mind here for each other. I I do want to challenge us, though, that especially leading into this Easter season, let's kind of take that mindset of other for each other and let's kind of expand that a little bit. Are 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 we applying the same mindset of Christ to other people outside of this congregation? Are we applying that same mindset of Christ to people we work with, go to school with, we encounter in the store? 
perhaps even that person who can't drive so well, who cuts us off, and then we have to slam on the brakes and hold our tongue. Amen. What's the mind of Christ in you? If you're struggling with it, it let me, I'm just going to be really direct here. If, if you have never had the mind of Christ, and you can say to yourself, Pastor, I, my, my mind has never been renewed. <laughs> I still think like I've always thought, and it gets me in trouble, and I don't know what to do about it. Today's the day to pray about that, and let's, let's just kind of lead you. If you're a Christian and you claim the name of Christ, like Paul says, or assuming that you've been taught the truth of the gospel, of course you have. Let's kind of deal with some issues there if we need to. Let, let God kind of look into your spirit and, and kind of reveal some things that may be hidden there that you're ignoring or not aware of. Whatever it is, it's always good to ask the Lord to constantly be refreshing our mind to be in the mind of Christ. Amen? Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And the words of your servant Paul here just are so encouraging, but also very challenging. And for that reason, God, I think that's why you put that in your scriptures. Because, God, the kingdom that you challenged us to build begins first with your grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ toward us. And I pray, God, that that forgiveness sparks and initiates a transformed spirit of mind. Whatever we've been trying to do is, is just leading us down a, a path of lies and deceit. We think it's the right thing, but it's really deception. Only through the truth of your gospel, Father, do we even know what is true. So help us, Father, we pray. Love us. Forgive us. Draw us to each other instead of ourselves. Let us be that example and that witness. Let us testify of the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, in all that we think. And then likewise, from that, everything we do. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.